We've got to recognize that here in about five hours, there's going to be thousands of people that are going absolutely bonkers in a stadium for some men running around on a field and wearing tights. Right? And they're going to pay a lot of money to show up to that game. I think the average ticket this year was eight or $10,000. Average. And I bet not any of those fans are going to be greeted by the head coach either. I went to church and the head pastor didn't say hi to me. I'm not going to give my money. I'm not going back to that church. People do crazy things and they spend a lot of money doing them. I went to a Seahawks game once and I saw grown men standing and screaming all game long. But then they show up to church they're like, this church is too excited for me. Too charismatic. Really, pal? You're charismatic at the game. I guess all I'm trying to say is that we get excited about a lot of things in this life and there is one who's worthy of actual praise. Like real praise. And that's a good golf clap right there, but he's worthy of like actual praise. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys can find a seat. Why don't you give two or three high fives before you sit down? Tell somebody that you love them. Look at somebody that's wearing a jersey that you don't like and tell them I love you anyway. Boy, I see some I see some Raider fans in the house. I see some Packers. There's some Packers in the house today. There's a Denver fan in the house. Or Wilson, one of the two. And then there's the godly, the Seahawks fans in the house. All right, who's going for the Chiefs today? Me too, me too. And who's the sinners that need to be saved and going for the 49ers? Nobody? Everybody's saved here? I'm just kidding, you guys. It's, we can joke. All right, if you have a Bible, turn to First Peter. First Peter, chapter 5. It's on page 800 in my version, <laughs> if you have the ESV. How's everybody doing today? Is everybody good? If this is your first time with us, uh, thank you for joining Hard the City Post Falls. If you don't know who I am, my name is Craig. I'm one of the elders here and just a servant, and uh, it's my privilege and honor to preach to you today. Um, I want to give you a little context of this particular chapter. We're going to kind of hang mainly just in a few verses, and uh, so I just want to say a few things before we jump in. Some things about the text, and then some things just as preparation. So as preparation, is it okay if I step on your toes a little bit today? I got one no. Okay. <laughs> Um, is it okay if I encourage your spirit but punch your flesh? Yeah, yeah okay, okay, perfect. <laughs> now, my intention at no point is to be offensive, um, but sometimes our flesh needs to be offended. And what, what we have to do when we listen to preachers or when we read the word or is we have to really discern is, is what I'm hearing and, and how I'm, if I'm being offended, is it, is it my spirit 
or is it my flesh? And sometimes people teach things that are wrong, and, and it's like, no, that doesn't resonate with my spirit. That's not theologically correct, and then you reject those things. But sometimes it's like, I don't know if I like that, but really it's just sharpening you and uh, disciplining your flesh. So that's the precursor. Okay, so the context of this particular chapter and this, this letter is uh, written by the Apostle Peter. Now, most theologians would say, based on my study, that he wrote this probably around the year 62 or 63 AD, and at this particular moment in his journey, he's, he's actually in Rome. Now, one place in this chapter, or in this book, he refers to what he calls Babylon, and Babylon, of course, was this older city and sort of represented this older kingdom, but the term Babylon shows up a number of times throughout the the scriptures to represent really um, something that's against the kingdom of God and even this, uh, like, evil places. So um, it's just interesting. Now, we don't know maybe for sure if he's referencing Rome being Babylon, but that's definitely what it looks like. And what you have to understand about this moment in time is that Peter is living and all of the Christians are living in a very turbulent time in the Roman Empire. Now we remember 30 years earlier, of course, Peter was with Jesus in Jerusalem living in a turbulent time where the Jews welcomed Jesus into the city with celebration, but then the same Jews six days later or a few days later were saying, crucify him, crucify him, and they hung Jesus on a tree, which was at the same moment the worst thing to happen in history and the greatest thing to happen in history. But that sort of turbulence that was taking place was more centered around what was happening with the Jews and what Jesus was doing establishing the new kingdom. But As the kingdom of God started to be built and Christianity began to spread, there was early on a dispersion of Christians from Jerusalem throughout all of the area because of more persecution from the Jews. But here we are 30 years later, and Christianity had grown, and Christianity began to be persecuted by not just the Jews, but also the Romans. And so all to say that Peter was recognizing that there's a season that he's living in and that the Christians are living in that he needed to prepare them for what was possibly coming at them. And we'll talk about what did come at them uh, in just a moment. So we're just going to read a few verses. And of course, this isn't, you know, we don't have time to read everything that maybe could be read or should be read. But we do believe that these few verses are going to highlight for us today some key things for us to think about. So if you would stand to your feet, we're going to read First Peter 5 verses 6 through 11. Hopefully you kind of understand mainly the context at this point. And so think about Pastor Peter. He's speaking to Christians collectively. This letter is written to Christians collectively, spread out wherever they're spread out. I think it references all over Asia and um, things like that. So this is just one one section where he's giving what seems to be not just teaching a revelation, but commands on how to think, feel, and behave. So here he says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. So you notice there's something that we do, and then there's something that God will do. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings has been, have, are, are being experienced by your, by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, notice the things that we're to do, the things that the devil is doing, and the things that God is going to do. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here today. It's not by accident. It's by your design. And we ask that you would speak to us now. I thank you that no person came here to listen to me. We all came here to listen to you. So we invite you. We don't just invite you into the room. We give you the whole room. We declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is allowed in this place or in our lives. Lord, would you let your scripture through your spirit speak to us? Have your way in us. We pray that you would bring encouragement, hope, conviction, rebuke if you feel it's necessary. Whatever you want, we want it. So speak to us, transform us, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for standing. You could sit. God bless you. So about 15 years ago, I was dating this girl named Jessica, and I wanted to marry her. Um, but some things had taken place in my life at this moment. This is about maybe like a year after I graduated from college, and I was in at this moment in time where, where a lot of people find themselves like in their 20s or whenever, where you're, you're starting to think about that next stage. You're not just dating to date. You're starting to think, man, could this be my wife? Could this be my husband? Is this really the person that I'm going to commit to for the rest of my life? And, and then you start having these, these questions of both. There's like excitement about it. And what would it look like to build a life? And man, maybe have kids one day and buy a house. And what would that look like? But then there's also this other side of you that's like full of fear. Like, am I really going to live with this person, this one person, give myself to this one person for the rest of my life? Nobody else. And so there's this, this weighty decision in this moment in my life. I just had seen some marriages really fall apart. And it freaked me out, including really like the guy that discipled me. See, I grew up in the church, but, but, and I called myself a Christian my whole life, but it really wasn't until I was a senior in high school where I really started following Jesus in a real way and it changed everything. And of course that was because of God, but that was also because of a guy named Joe, this young life leader and youth pastor that started walking with me. I, I literally went to a different college because that's where Joe went. I, I wanted to be a young life leader because Joe had changed my life. And so I, I started being a young life leader and, and then I, I graduate from college and, and he was like the guy that discipled me. And then I find out that he had had an affair and his, his marriage fell apart. And I, it rocked my world. I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't compute how, I, I, like he helped me in my, like how? And I was judging him and I was so angry with him. And my roommate was like, hey, I think that you need to like be careful because Probably when you're in the place where you think that I would never do that, I could never do that, that might be the place where you have to 
be a little aware. So I started learning that sometimes to put yourself in a position of, of warning and being aware of things that might happen even to you can prepare you for better health in the future. But because of all this, I was, I was so nervous about getting married. So um, I know we have this marriage retreat coming up, which is good. And, you know, you should do that because what's, what's interesting is we a lot of times focus on like pre-marriage. And I was so freaked out that I did pre-pre-marriage counseling. But what, I'll tell you why, though, because I feel like in the church, like once you're engaged, like that's it. Like, if you say you're engaged and then you break it off, like, that's just, what's everybody going to think? So I was like, hey, I want to do counseling before I propose to you because if I propose to you, I intend on marrying you and I need to know, like, so I'm like trying to talk through everything, you know, like, how many kids, where are we going to live, which way do you put the toilet paper in the bathroom, you know, like, because <laughs> like, it matters. If it's not coming over the top, like, you're a psychopath and I'm not going to marry you and and I, I just got to the place, and I'm being serious, where I, I was trying to work out every single detail before I even proposed, and then it was like pre-marriage counseling, and, and I just realized there's a place for preparation, and there's a place where you're like stepping out in faith. But I wanted to go in to my marriage with my eyes wide open. And so I, we titled this message this weekend, Eyes Wide Open. Why? Because just like in marriage, there's other situations in life where sometimes we can be idealistic and just think, oh, it's going to be, but we don't really know. You know, like the teenager that's just waiting to move out of the house? I'm going to get my own place, mom and dad. And now all of a sudden, like, Every single thing that they spent money on, they're carefully, like, I only want one of the uh, paper towels, and before, they're just pulling the paper towels and everything. Now, now you start paying. So the teenagers are thinking, I'm going to go get my own place. They don't understand what the costs actually are, right? Or maybe the entrepreneur that's just thinking, oh, man, I hate my boss. When I start my own business, it's going to be amazing, you know, but are you, are you going to walk into that with eyes wide open, recognizing that it's maybe not going to be exactly like you think it's going to be? Or the politician that's thinking, man, if I could just get elected, I'm going to fix all of the problems in the whole world. I just need to get elected. So sometimes we can have these idealistic views of what's going to happen, but we also need to walk into situations with a sober view, with eyes wide open. Which brings us to today. We were discussing as an eldership and a lead team that it's 2024. There will be an election this year. And we hope and pray that this year is going to be awesome. But what if this year starts to twist and turn and look a little bit like 2020? How are we going to behave? How are we going to act? Let me, let, me, let me ask it like this. If somebody came to you in January of 2020 or November of 2019 and said, hey, did you know that in just a few months, lifelong relationships are going to be broken because of a piece of paper over your mouth or not? Are, are you catching what I'm saying? In 2020, people got weird. In 2020, division came. 
And it wasn't just the election, but I think that it was because the election that other things happened. So we had all kinds of issues in 2020. We had political issues. We had racial issues. We had financial issues. We had health issues. We had, are you gonna take the shot or not take the shot? Are you gonna wear a mask or not wear the mask? And people, we were just doing our best at that time in the moment to make decisions. And every one of us was. We were all caught off guard. And so I guess really what, I'm trying to present to you today at a very surface level is if things start getting crazy in 2024, can we walk in with eyes wide open, with a heart that's prepared, with a mind that's sharp, with a spirit that says, I'm predetermining how I'm going to behave if things go down. Because we're living in a time, in a country, that things are getting kind of weird. Forget just the election, things are getting weird. Society is not um, sort of as supportive of what we believe any longer. Like in some ways, God forbid, not in all ways, but in some ways, the season that we're living in looked a little bit like the location and the time that Peter and the other Christians were living in in this scripture. Persecution was starting to rise. Christianity had gained a name, and so they started, they started looking at them and saying, earlier it was like, oh, you guys believe whatever you want. You follow this dead Jew, fine, whatever. But then it started to grow, and then they started to resist the, the ways of the Roman Empire and resist uh, worshiping the, the, the Caesar and re- resist doing the things that culture said you need to do. And then there was, started to be these clashes. And I don't know if you're feeling it or not. If you're not feeling it, you're probably not fully living in your Christianity because if you are living in what the Bible preaches, then you're starting to feel that there's a clash between what you believe and what culture is saying. And it was happening then. Now, I think that Peter was writing probably based on two primary things. On the one hand, he was literally living in a time, and if he was in Rome, he was living in the center of this empire that was starting to turn and look like this might get kind of bad for us. But of course, because he's writing scripture, we also believe that the Holy Spirit was just speaking to him and and speaking prophetically, both encouragement and warning. And this is important for us. I want to encourage you today. I want you to walk out of here with hope, but sometimes hope has to be birthed in a warning. Now, what Peter may or may not have known was coming was just a year or two later, you probably heard of the emperor Nero. He was reigning at this exact time. And in the year 64 AD, there was a great fire in Rome, and like 70% of Rome burned. And Nero was looking for somebody to pin that on, and he said it was the Christians that did it, which began this massive persecution where they literally took our brothers and sisters, dipped them in wax, stuck them on poles in his garden, and burned them alive. Now, God forbid anything like that ever happens in this nation. But how are we going to respond if persecution to a greater degree does come? How are we going to respond if 2024 looks like 2020? 
How are we going to feel, act, behave, and speak this year? If we can enter this year with eyes wide open, prepared, I think we'll be better off than we may have been in 2020. So from this scripture, knowing that they were living in turbulent times like we are, I just want to draw your attention to four simple points. Of course, it's, it's not everything. There's much more that could be talked about, but we felt like this scripture had four solid points, four solid things that at minimum, if we could focus on this year, we'll all do better and we'll all be better. The first one is this, that we would humble ourselves. If we turn back to this scripture, verse six, he says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. At the proper time, he will exalt you. And actually, in order to really understand fully this this scripture, verse 5 says this, clothe yourselves with all humility towards one another. And then it tells us this, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like, this is a spiritual reality that we have to understand, that there's actually an opposition from God if we're proud. In the scripture, it talks about the hand of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You see, in the scriptures, typically the hand of God usually refers to, based on the context, two main things, either his provision or his power. In this case, uh, it's definitely talking about his power, that recognizing that, that God is in control, but that he is going to do something with his hand, with his power. If you are proud, he will go against you, but... If we are humble, which, watch this, is a choice, is an action. Sometimes we look at people and we're like, oh, that person's so humble. And, so, and we might think to ourselves, oh, it's just a character quality. Oh, it's just how they are. And, you know, that, that, might, be, that might be true for some people. They just might be natu- naturally more humble in their nature. But watch this. This is a command. Humble yourself. That's something we do. That's not just how you are. And I would say it to you like this. If we don't humble ourselves, God will humble us. But in the kingdom, everything's flipped upside down. So when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand at the proper time, in the proper way, in the godly way, he will exalt us. When I think back to 2020, I just... I just feel that some of us could have operated in a little bit more humility, probably myself included, probably most of us, if we're honest. I mean, again, like we were, everything was happening in March. Nobody knew really, to, okay, okay, you know what? Gosh, if two, if two weeks to flatten the curve could save some people's lives, like, yeah, I, I guess we could do that. But then two weeks turns into three, and then, and then we're like, well, what should we do? And then people are, no matter what decision we made, we were wrong. Because this half of the room thought if you wear masks, you're, you're, you're full of fear. You're giving into fear. You're literally, you're worshiping the devil. But this half of the room thought, well, but if, one, if a mask might help somebody stay alive, maybe we should do it. And it's not really, you're not really sinning. Like, so do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's just nothing, you just... And there was so much, everybody thought they knew the right way. And relationships were broken because of pride. 
And you know, there's definitely some things that are, man, they are faith issues. They are essential issues that we cannot continue to stand with, with other people on when, when we don't, but there's a lot of peripheral issues and issues that are not, not anti-biblical, but just a-biblical, not explicitly in the scriptures that we all have to like land with a conviction on. And, and all of those things, I'm just saying, if, if stuff goes down this year, can we just decide beforehand, man, I'm, I'm at least gonna do my best to be humble with my brothers and sisters. To just try and understand, like what I'm learning at this season of my life, because I, I, I used to be very judgmental. Like Jessica told me at one point when we were dating, she's like, I'm not gonna visit churches with you anymore. We would go and visit churches. She goes, you have something critical to say about everything, the preaching, the worship, the greeting team. Like I just theologically judged everything and she, and I, and she put me in my place and it was good. Those, those hard times in life are good. Um, but what I'm learning is that when somebody has a genuinely held conviction that they believe is based on how they understand the word of God, because there's lots of people in the world that have opinions that we don't have to. But if Dave has a genuinely held conviction in his faith based on the scripture, and I might have a differently, different genuinely held conviction based on the scripture, we can come to a place where we can honor one another because sin is both going against what God explicitly commands and the scripture tells us that anything that, that, that does not proceed from faith is sin. Therefore, some things for you might be a sin that are not a sin for me. Did you know that? That we all have to operate within our own convictions, but we, we can do that with humility, with love, with respect. That is possible in the church. Amen? Are you with me? So let's humble ourselves as we enter this year. And, and if things don't get weird, hallelujah, we're humble towards one another. Praise God. Number two, cast your anxieties on God. You see, Peter knew they were already experiencing it, and he, he may have foreseen this is going to get really crazy. And when they start pinning Christians on poles and burning them, it's going to provoke a lot of fear. It's going to provoke a lot of anxiety. You remember 2020, how much anxiety people had? Antidepressants went up. Depression went up. Everybody was alone, separated from each other. I mean, the first video that I ever posted that really started me on the journey of digital missions that I'm on, all I did was read Philippians 4, 6, and 7, a verse about anxiety and prayer. And it got 200,000 views in two days. Because Gen Z was so anxious and so fearful and every, nobody knew what was going on. All I did was, was read this verse that says, you know, with, uh, what's the verse? Yes. How's it start? Do not be anxious about anything, but in, in everything with prayer and supplication, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Um, and like people had anxiety. And so what the scripture is telling us though is watch this. There's an action that we have to choose to take with our anxiety. And if you don't make a decision of what you're gonna do with it, then it determines in you what it's gonna do with you. Now, 
I wanted to confess to you because I, try, I tried this like this morning in my devotion time and I'm, I'm literally sitting in my chair. I'm like, okay, how do God, I, I, cast my, I cast my burden on you and I, I felt like a goof. Like I literally did this this morning. I'm like, what am I gonna tell him, God? Like, how do you do that, you know? Here. Take it, you know? I don't know. I, I literally tried it this morning. I don't know what it is like in the spirit, but I was like, here, God, I'm scared of the future or whatever your, your thing is. So I don't know exactly like how it plays out, but I, I do think the revelation is this, that we're either gonna in some way, shape, or form hold our anxiety or we're gonna put it somewhere else. So however that looks and works like in your own prayer time, in your own worship, I guess I'm just trying to propose to you that the scripture's commanding us and the word is throw. Like find a way to, because your, your anxiety is gonna be put somewhere. That's really the question. Where are you gonna put it? On you, in your mind, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, or on him? Sometimes you have to think about what we're thinking about. The scripture says whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things, right? So just recognize anxieties sometimes come. Their presence in your heart or your mind is not a sign that you're sinning. You don't have to worry, is God mad at me? But, but we do have a choice. And the beauty of this, this particular verse is this, that we can cast our anxieties somewhere because that somewhere is a someone who cares for you. It says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So if you could trust his character, you can trust him with your issues. Find a way to throw them on him. Number three, stay sharp and watchful. I could say it like this. Keep your eyes wide open. Verse eight, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We need to enter this year, and every year for that matter, with eyes wide open, with hearts wide open, open to the things of God, but recognizing that we also have an enemy. Now watch this. Your enemy is not the person sitting next to you. No, I know that. I know that because they're in church with me. Well, they might be cheering for a different team today. Well, they might believe something maybe a little different than you. But maybe it's like, oh, well, my enemy is the, the liberals, the Democrats, or the Republicans. In so many ways, we do feel like we have enemies, right? But what we have to understand is that at the root of everything, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the spiritual places, right? Our enemy is the devil, his demons, and the spiritual powers of darkness. 
We actually have three enemies. Do you know this? Because the devil's not necessarily behind everything. Our flesh can be an enemy. The ways of the world can be an enemy. And the devil. So we need to know which enemy we're facing at which time so we can know how to battle that enemy. But I just want to encourage you going into this year, as we're operating in humility, as we're casting our anxieties on God, as we're loving one another, that if we end up having issues with either brothers or sisters in the faith or people outside of the faith, we have to remember, ultimately, Karen is not our enemy. The devil is. And the devil's using Karen right now to yell at me. Sorry if your name's Karen, but it's just a thing. We are for people, right? We are for the people that don't believe what we believe. Our mission is to love them, serve them, and invite them into the faith. So let's just be aware of how we're going to treat people. All right, one more point. Number four. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you guys can come up. Stand firm and resist. Speaking of the devil, resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to eternal glory, watch this, it's eternal that we're going to. This is temporal. This life that we're living is is but a vapor. It's but a moment in in our existence. We I mean, it's a second in our existence. We're destined for eternity. Whatever we face in this life, no matter how difficult, it's not going to compare to the glory that is to be received by those who believe. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. D. So stand firm and resist. That's something you do. You need to make the choice this year to stand firm in your faith. Let me just step on your toes for a second. Humility is not the same thing as cowardice. Just to be totally honest and very frank, there are a lot of Christians that are acting like cowards in this season because of pressure from the world and from the devil himself. We can live in humility and stand strong in our faith and not be a coward. We can be humble, and lift our voice. Let me give you some practicals here. Living human, ba- living human beings in the womb are not political issues to be de- debated between Republicans and Democrats. They're spiritual issues to be de- debated by the church. So when the world says, stay out of politics, we say, no, 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 no. Abortion is not a political issue, it's a spiritual one. So we are going to stand firm in our faith. We are going to open our mouth and lift our voice and stay humble at the same time. 
Gender issues are spiritual issues, not political ones. Some things are politics. Some things we don't need to get into, especially not from this pulpit. But sometimes the lines overlap. And the church needs to live in humility, but stand firm in her faith and open her mouth. Whether or not there's election happening this year, what we've seen happen the last few years is that cancel culture is rising. The pressure on you, especially on social media, is to not post your opinion if it's an opinion about faith, which is a crazy thought because at the same time the culture is saying anybody can literally be anything, think anything about themselves in the world, have any philosophy that they want other than the Christians. No, no, no. You're not gonna get me to quiet my voice in 2024. No fear or anxiety of cancel culture is gonna get me to be quiet in 2024. You need to decide right now how you're gonna behave the rest of the year. Like Daniel, when he was going in, he didn't go in and look at all the food and think, hmm, am I gonna fast? I don't know, that prime rib looks really good. Daniel and his buddies, before they went into the king's room, they decided, we're gonna fast. No matter what food is in there, no matter what it looks like, this is what we're doing. They decided before they went in. I want to encourage you to decide before you walk into the rest of 2024 how you're going to be, how you're going to think, how you're going to respond. Every single one of these things has something that we have to do and a reason why. Did you catch it? Humble yourself, that's your decision. Why? Because at the proper time, then God will exalt you. Two, cast your anxieties on God. Why? Because he cares for you. Number three, be sober-minded, be watchful, keep your eyes wide open. Why? Because there is a devil that's coming after you. And number four, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Why? Because other people have suffered the same way that you're suffering and that God is going to give to you what he intends for you. He's going to confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. And at the end of the day, the cherry on top is that honestly to him belongs all the dominion and the glory. Our lives are lived for him, not for us. How we live, how we behave, how we conduct business, how we speak, how we operate with believers and non-believers is directed by Him. But there are choices we need to make and then things that He will do.